To lose a game by 35 points, there needs to be more than one factor at play. Rodgers playing like a pumpkin yesterday is essentially equivalent to the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. I think it's clear as day. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. You know, it's weird. I think I've worried more in the last 48 hours about my fantasy football team than I have about the Packers. And it's not that I'm not concerned about the Packers. What Aaron Rodgers did on Sunday was really concerning, and we talked about that for probably the better part of at least an hour of last night's show, right? Laying out what he did poorly and what he didn't do well, right? The things that we saw from 2018, the things that we didn't see from his MVP season. So both his failures of commission and omission, what he was and what he wasn't doing. That's concerning, but I really don't know what to do with Sunday's game past saying, this is what went wrong. This is what needs to change. I have no inclination on whether things will change, why they would or wouldn't, the trajectory of this team. I I feel like next Monday is week one all over again. Do you know what I mean? When they play Detroit, it will feel like week one to me because there is absolutely nothing I can take away from that game. I can't accurately judge Joe Barry's defense because Aaron Rodgers was so piss poor. I can't accurately judge the running game or the offensive line or Devontae Adams because Aaron Rodgers was so bad. I can't really judge Matt LaFleur Because Aaron Rodgers was so bad. And also, I think Aaron Rodgers in the second half just said, screw this, I'm doing what I want. We're going to spread out and go. Next Monday is week one all over again. That game against the Saints, I know the cliche is, oh, burn the tape and forget about it. Well, kind of, because I don't really know what we're supposed to do with the tape. Today, I was trying to think, okay, here are my predictions moving forward. I think this is going to happen. No. Monday's going to be week one all over again. Like the season anew, because there is nothing I can do with Sunday's game. We talked about what went wrong and what was bad, but in terms of what's going to happen moving forward, I heck, I don't know. I need to see an actual game of football. And Sunday, although it counts and it's a loss, that wasn't really a real actual game of football for me to judge because Aaron Rodgers playing as poorly as he did, it made it impossible to really look critically at any other part of that team or any other part of that game. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. One hour tonight and one hour only. The Brewers are playing on the East Coast, and by the East Coast, I mean... Uh, <laughs> They're playing in Detroit. So the pregame is going to start at 5.05. So the show will go until 5.05, and then I will step aside and let the Brewers pregame take over. I, I, I say, like, I, oh, I'll let them take No, contractually, actually, I have to get out of the way <laughs> and let them take over. Otherwise, I would love to talk until 6 o'clock. But tonight, the show is only going to be one hour, which is okay for reasons that I just mentioned. I don't really know what else we can do with yesterday's game. I guess it's Sunday's game now. What do we do? There's nothing predictive there. There's nothing that we can really take away from any other part of the team because Aaron Rodgers playing as poorly as he did kind of ruined everything else, right? Think of cilantro. I love a good food analogy. I love Food Network, right? If you hate cilantro and I serve you a dish that has cilantro in it, you're not really going to be able to tell me anything else about the dish other than that it tastes like soap because people who don't like cilantro, that's what you'll taste. So I could, I could marinate some some beautiful, oh, flank steak or hanger steak, and I, I could braise it slowly over three hours and it's fall off the bone, even though flank steak doesn't have bone, but you get the point, right? And I could saute vegetables with a delicious blend of seasonings and spices, and I could put hours into this meal, and then if I threw a bunch of cilantro in at the end and I handed you the bowl and said, hey, tell me what you think of this dish, you would not be able to tell me anything other than this tastes like soap and I hate it. 
Aaron Rodgers is the cilantro in the dish that was Sunday's game. And for that reason, I, what are we supposed to do with the rest of it? I don't know. I don't know. Because it tastes like soap. Because Aaron Rodgers was really, really bad. So the fact that we only have one hour to talk tonight, it actually works out kind of nice. If there was a show that was only an hour long, I think it works well that it's tonight. And the Brewers didn't play yesterday, so we don't have a game to talk about. So, hey, I think it's coming up uh, all aces. Uh, all all wins for us tonight. 608-796-2558 is the talk and text line. You can obviously give me a call or... A text, that's the point of the, the name of the line. And Twitter, at Wisco Grant, you can follow and tweet along with me there. It looks like in Detroit right now, there was a tarp down on the field. Now the sun is out and it looks really nice. I checked the weather. It looked like there might be some dangerous rain chances at like 9 o'clock. Maybe the game could be over by then, but I don't think that's going to impact the start of the game. So I don't think we could have a situation where the Brewers start late and my show goes long. It looks nice in Detroit. I'm looking at Todd Rosiak, who posted a picture of the sunshine in Detroit. It looks like a nice ballpark. I don't know if I need to go to Detroit, but if I could teleport to the ballpark, it looks like it's a a nice place to visit. We'll talk about the Brewers at the very end of the show, leading right into the start of the pregame at 5.05. I want to start with Monday Night Football last night, actually, because it was great, and also because, like I said, there's not a whole lot left to say that we didn't say already about Sunday's Packer game. Last night was the debut of Monday Night Football. First time in a while that we haven't had a doubleheader which was a bummer. I also kind of appreciated not having to stay up until midnight, but also I would have loved to stay up until midnight to watch football last night because it's week one. I kind of missed the doubleheader, but it was nice to be able to focus on this one game. It was Ravens-Raiders, and it was the home debut, the home opener with fans for that new stadium in Vegas. Last year, they kept it completely empty because they said, we don't want to do this halfway. When we finally bring fans in here, we want it to be the real thing, and that was the case last night. We got a quarter into this game, and I, I wasn't sold. I was like, ah, this, isn't, this isn't doing it for me. It's not my thing. And I tweeted that at Wisco Grant. I said, yeah, these two teams aren't doing it for me. I think I have an NFC bias. I would really rather watch any NFC matchup, any NFC matchup, than any AFC matchup that doesn't feature Kansas City or Cleveland. I think Cleveland is in that group. If there's an AFC game that doesn't feature Kansas City or Cleveland, just give me an NFC game. I'm more excited for Washington versus New York on Thursday Night Football than I was excited about last night's game. And that's an AFC-NFC bias thing. I also like Fox more than I like ESPN, although the Manning broadcast was pretty cool last night. I don't know if you checked out that secondary broadcast with Eli and Peyton Manning. That was kind of fun. I wonder how the actual booth of Monday Night Football feels. Was it a... It's not Tessator anymore. It's Steve Levy and Louis Riddick, right? It's like, thanks, ESPN, for putting this awesome other option for people to go watch. Thanks a lot. I, I appreciate that. Because now no one's watching the actual stream. I watched a little bit of that last night. That was fun. I just didn't love the matchup because I don't love AFC games that don't feature either the Chiefs or the Browns. None of these other teams really do it for me. And the game was kind of ugly early on. There were ugly stretches. Baltimore jumped out to a 14-0 lead. And I'm thinking, really? It's the Raiders' home debut in this beautiful stadium in front of fans for the first time. And you're just going to be a turd? That's rather lame. I wasn't about that. And the Raiders punted on their first four drives of the game. First time in 15 years the Raiders have done that. And it's, of course, in their home opener in front of fans in Vegas. Carr early on was missing guys. He had a couple of opportunities to hit Waller for big gains. You just didn't see him. Not targeting Henry Ruggs either. But, of course, Alec Ingold was getting targets, which was funny. I saw there were people complaining about that on Twitter. It's like, hey, former Badger, we like that in Wisconsin. But I'm pretty sure football fans everywhere else absolutely hate that, given that Henry Ruggs is exciting. Waller is exciting and has fantasy implications. Unless maybe you started Alec Ingold. We should do 
a Big Ten fantasy football league where you're only allowed to draft Big Ten players. That would be kind of fun. Alec Ingold, maybe a nice PPR option after from what we saw last night. So neither team was really sharp, especially the Raiders. Guys were getting banged up. Ruggs left the game for some stretch. Josh Jacobs, Denzel Good, Ngankwe, Gerald McCoy. By the way, Good blew his ACL. We saw that this afternoon, so he's out. The game didn't feel great, and everybody was getting hurt, and the quarterback play didn't seem great. And I'm like, well, this for everything that's going wrong and everything that these teams are sacrificing, the Ravens are already injured as can be. They have so many guys on injured reserve. And the game's still not that entertaining. So I just kind of felt like it was a waste watching it. But this is why football is the best. Because the first three quarters kind of stunk, although it got better after halftime. Vegas scored 17 points in the fourth quarter and forced overtime after trailing against a pretty good Baltimore team for a good chunk of the game. Forced overtime after this game started like a dud. And that's why football is great. Because out of nowhere, some weird stuff can happen. And now we have a game. And now there's chaos. And now all of a sudden I'm leaning in and I'm paying attention more closely. I'm turning the volume up a little bit. At one point, Vegas thought they had a game-winning field goal. Then Baltimore tied it up with three or four seconds to go, which was awesome because at that point, the game's good. Now I want more football. I don't want to go to bed. Now I want to watch more. And we got free football. And if you went to bed, overtime was nuts because Vegas thought they had won it. They were shaking hands. Like, it was was over. And then the refs were like, oh, hold on. We're going to look at it. Hold on. Keep the band. Keep the band off the field. So Vegas thought they had won it, then they didn't. Then they turned it over on the goal line, Russell Wilson style. And then the Ravens fumbled, Lamar Jackson fumbled, and then the Raiders got it back and went down and won. It was nuts. And that's why the NFL is great. And the NBA is probably my favorite league. And the Brewers right now might be my favorite team. But in the NFL, in the sport of football, there's just more room for insane sequences. There's just more space for wild, nutty things to happen than there is in baseball or in basketball. And you can get buzzer beaters absolutely in basketball, and it can get weird. I think March Madness is a great example of that every year, maybe even more so than the NBA. And baseball can get nuts. I mean, the Brewers did a walk-off Grand Slam a couple of Sundays ago. Don't get me wrong. But I think football has so many rules that just really don't make sense except their rules. Like, if you tried to explain to someone the rules of football in one sitting, their head would explode. Because it's just one thing after another. And as soon as you think you have football figured out, then something weird happens. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, this rule exists. Nobody really knows why, but it's a rule. Oh, yeah, when this happens, then, then, then this rule kicks into place. And Why? Well, I don't know. That's just that's the way it is. Right? When your mom and dad tells you, well, because I said so. That's kind of the rule book for football. It's just because I said so. So the chaos quotient or the, the, the space that exists for insane things to happen in an NFL game is so much larger than in any other sport in the NBA or in Major League Baseball. Like, there's no onside kick equivalent in baseball or in basketball. Onside kick is weird. It's awkward. It's nuts. It's a long shot. There's nothing quite like it in baseball or in basketball. The rule in which a player fumbles the ball through the end zone and then it becomes a touchback, there's no equivalent to that in football where it's like, okay, you take the shot, but if you miss the shot by just a little bit, actually, it's points for the other team. No, that doesn't exist. Baseball, it doesn't exist either. Football has weird rules. Random 10-second runoffs after a review. The overtime rules are nuts. It's like, okay, you start with the ball. If you get a touchdown, you win. But if you only kick a field goal, the other team gets a chance to get the ball. Does that really make sense? Kind of. But that's because I know football and I understand like, hey, you can walk it off, but you need to do the real thing. You need six. If you kick a field goal, that gives the other team a chance where that... It might not really be logical, but it's logical in the space of football. 
Overtime is nuts. Football can get weird. Look at how the Lions covered the eight and a half the other day. And at one point, they were down a couple of scores. And then they backdoored their way by a two-point conversion and an onside kick, and it just got weird. Real quick, on the actual game last night and not on football, big picture, by the way, the Raiders, the final score, 33-27. to 27. Not that that's super important in the grand scheme of things, but that was the final score. If you didn't see, I would imagine if you needed to know that score for whatever reason, you probably would have checked by now, but it was 33-27. to 27. I don't think last night is a big indictment on Lamar. I think that's really unfair. I watched a couple of shows today, listened to a couple of podcasts, and there were a couple people that were really planting their flag on the Lamar still isn't good enough as a passer hill. And Lamar's not the best passer in football, but if your takeaway after the game last night was Lamar's still not a real quarterback, that's just lame. That's like every Bucks loss blaming it on Chris Middleton or every Bucks loss saying, well, Giannis needs to learn how to shoot. Well, yes, but that doesn't define every game that Lamar Jackson ever plays. Just like that doesn't define every Chris Middleton game or every Giannis game. Does Giannis need to become a more complete player? Yeah, that would be great. Does Chris Middleton need to get a little bit more consistent? Yeah, that would be awesome, but that's not the players that they are. And you can't define every one of their performances in every Bucks game by those standards. Just like you can't look every time Buffalo, or rather Baltimore, loses, you can't just say, well, uh, Lamar Jackson, not good enough at throwing. Well, yeah, ideally he would get better as a passer, and I think he has. There's some people who believe he's the same passer now that he came in in the NFL on. No, he threw a touchdown rolling to his right, finding the receiver in the back of the end zone. Great play. Lamar wasn't making that play three years ago. Could he get better? Is there room to improve? Yeah, but every quarterback has room to improve. Lamar Jackson is no exception. He's so brilliant at running that sometimes it just doesn't matter. I hated to watch shows and listen to shows today where hosts were just saying, oh, Lamar's got to get better at throwing the ball. I think that's lazy. The Baltimore defense gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter. Is that Lamar's fault? Actually, it's probably less Lamar's fault than other quarterbacks because the way that Lamar runs the ball and impacts the running game is even better for time of possession and controlling the clock which is even a bigger indictment on the Baltimore defense. You have an offense that runs the ball and controls the clock, and yet you still found a way to give up 17 points to a Raiders offense that is fine. That's not Lamar Jackson's fault. And Lamar Jackson had a huge 28-yard scramble to set his team up for the first game-tying field goal. Oh, yeah, and then he orchestrated his offense into position to get a second one to force overtime. Yeah, he fumbled in overtime. That's tough. That's tough. Jordan Love fumbled the other day. Right, Andy Dalton was getting beat up in the pocket. I don't remember if he had a fumble or not, but quarterbacks are pressured. Sometimes it's just bad luck. Somebody rushes at the right angle. They catch a quarterback on the blind spot. That doesn't mean that Lamar Jackson is loose with the football. doesn't mean he's not a traditional, good enough, polished passer. It just means he had a bad mistake at a bad time. Very similar to Baker on Sunday. My takeaway from last night, not related to Lamar Jackson at all, and this takeaway is the same reason I didn't love the game in the first place until it got absolutely bananas. No one is close to Kansas City in the AFC. There's not a single team that's close to Kansas City, especially if Josh Allen takes a big regression and Sunday showed us an example of what that might look like. Like a lot of those throws, the inaccuracies that we saw before 2020, if that creeps back in, well, then there's no quarterback in the AFC that's really on the same level, except for maybe Justin Herbert. But I don't think Justin Herbert and the Chargers are ready to go at Casey maybe in a year or two, but still, I don't know. Mahomes is that good. On Sunday, the Browns played amazing. Baker was as good as I've seen in a game that big. Stefanski, from an in-game decision-making perspective, was brilliant. He was flawless. Going for it when he should, punting when he should, kicking when he should. It's not Stefanski or Baker Mayfield's fault that their punter, you know, peed down his leg and fumbled the ball and set up Kansas City Tom Brady style in the red zone. All of those things considered, the Browns playing great, Baker being awesome, Stefanski being perfect. 
It wasn't enough because all Patrick Mahomes had to do was find Tyree Kill once for an explosive jailbreak play, and that was that. Kansas City's that much better than everyone in the AFC. They're visiting Baltimore next week, going from Central Time Zone to Eastern Time Zone. They're traveling, and they're a four-point favorite. So eclipsing that number of three is a big deal. Not three and a half, but four, especially when you factor in home field advantage, which is back whether you think it's a point, a point and a half. Being a four-point favorite at Baltimore next week just shows how good Kansas City is. They don't even need to play a complete game. They don't need to be the best version of themselves. They just need to arrive with a healthy Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey, and they're that much better than everyone else, which is why some of these AFC matchups, as intriguing as the Raiders or the Ravens might be, neither one of those teams is sniffing the Chiefs. It's not even close. And that's where some of these games get lost on me just a little bit. Relevancy-wise. Entertainment value-wise was great. Just not as relevant as I would like to see some matchups. Although, Washington and New York on Thursday is the opposite of relevant, but it's NFC, so I'm a little biased. Let's get into the Packers coming up next. I want to dispel some thoughts and some rumors about Rodgers, who I hated on Sunday. That performance is terrible, but I do have to go to bat for him in a couple different departments. We'll do that next. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. If I sound a little frazzled, it's because I left my mouse pad in the other studio, and I'm just, I I feel like I'm driving on black ice. Uh, I can't control myself, so if I start clicking random things, <laughs> that's why. I'm going to go grab the mouse pad over this next commercial break. I know you were concerned. Office uh, issues. Missing my mouse pad. 608-796-2558. couple of texts. Mad Mike says, hey, Grant, it's crazy because the ball isn't round. You know, that's a good point, Mad Mike. We can talk about all the crazy rules, all the crazy things that happen in football that don't happen in baseball and basketball. Maybe it's just best summed up by, hey, look at the ball shaped really weird. And that kind of sums the league up as a whole, right? Southside Geo, uh, if you want us to carry the show, just ask. I'll start. <laughs> when did I When did I ask for that? He says, do you think Le'Veon or Devonta Freeman see the field? I think no. I feel like Baltimore rolls with the two-headed monster of Latavius Murray and Tyson Williams all season. Thanks. I'll take my answer off the air. Well, first of all, you text it in. So, yes, you're taking your answer off the air. If Latavius Murray and Tyson Williams are healthy, yeah, absolutely. I think the Ravens should trade for Philip Lindsay. Give Texans a pick. Get him. He could be a speedster in the backfield, too. I really like Philip Lindsay. You know, don't sleep on the Texans. They got an interesting little group of running backs. Now, they'll probably only win three or four games, but they do have an interesting group of running backs. Ingram and David Johnson and Philip Lindsay. All three guys were like, huh, they're in Houston, huh? Yep, they are. The more you know. Lack of running backs. I don't know if it bothered Baltimore last night. It's tough to tell. Anytime you lose three guys at the top of your depth chart at any position, I think it makes a difference. If you're going to be banged up, running back might be the place, although Baltimore loves to run the ball. So last night, maybe that factored in the final result, Vegas winning 33-27. to I do want to get into the Packers and talk a little bit about Aaron Rodgers because even over this commercial break, I was on Twitter. You can follow me at Wisco Grant. I noticed some of this discourse being thrown around. Yesterday, I explained what Rodgers did do that was bad and the good things that we didn't see him do. Right, so we're talking about X's and O's. And yesterday, we did scheme. Today, I want to do big picture on Aaron Rodgers for just a couple of minutes. This is an idea that I've read and I've heard a ton. We heard it yesterday from our friend Dave in Monona. And you've probably seen it around too. This idea that Aaron Rodgers is tanking the season to get traded or to spite his team or 
whatever. Now, I know we're all saying this is a joke, but I also feel that there's a good chunk of people who may actually believe this is true. And when that group of people that is believing something that's outrageous and that's just allowed to carry on, that's how you get people who do crazy things. Like, take horse medicine. That's not the point. The point is, do I really need to be the adult in the room and explain why this is stupid? Like, like really? Do I really need to outline why Aaron Rodgers is not tanking the season to get traded? Because that's stupid. We were complaining and comparing, I should say, the NBA to the NFL and Major League Baseball to the NFL about 10 minutes ago. So why don't we do that more? In the NBA, you see guys all the time, I want to be traded, I want out. In fact, uh, even more so than that, I want to be traded to this team and this team. Those are the only teams I'll play for. The NBA, these superstars always want out and they're always calling their shots. It's very common. James Harden is a really good example. He's the most recent example. He will certainly not be the last. Ben Simmons has already taken that mantle, right? James Harden got fat, and he sandbagged a month of the season. But the NBA is a little different. There's 82 regular season games. Stars get traded all the time, and careers last longer. Careers typically aren't ended in one insane injury. We've seen insane injuries to somebody like Paul George. And yeah, did it take him a little while to get back? Mm-hmm. He's pretty good in the playoffs for the Clippers this year, and he's slowly, I think, gotten a little better and better. I don't think anybody looks at Paul George now and blames his deficiencies, whatever they may be, especially in the postseason. Nobody's blaming those things on the fact that he shattered his leg. Now, right away when he came back, sure. Gordon Hayward, right when he came back, sure. But those two guys have now physically rebounded to a place where if they're failing, we no longer blame their leg. We say, okay, Paul George might just be kind of soft. I think maybe that's what we talk about more then we talk about his leg, although he did, I think, some good things in the playoffs this year to dispel some of those thought processes. James Harden got fat, and he sandbagged a bunch of the season to get traded to Brooklyn. However, there's 82 games, and in the NBA, it's very common for stars to get traded even in the middle of the season. That NBA needle is a lot easier to thread. Heck, Ben Simmons has four years left on his deal. Just put together one of the worst playoff performances by any player of his caliber in the history of the league, and he's saying trade me and trade me to an LA team. Oh, you can't get anything for me? That's not my problem. I don't have any trade value. That's not my problem. Clutch reps me, so you're going to do what they say and trade me here, which is ridiculous. And I kind of hope Philly says, you know what? Screw you guys. If you want to hold out and you don't want to play this year, fine. But we have you under contract for four more years, so you're either going to sit out or you're going to come back and play and actually get your trade value off of the mat, which is where it currently is, right? Football, unlike basketball, is fleeting. Rodgers turns 38 in December, and this is his 14th year as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He can't afford to waste a season, let alone waste a season with this roster, which is very good. Does it have issues? Yes, but that's been the story about the Packers for the last 10 years. And If you're paying a quarterback a bunch of money, the roster is not very often going to be flawless. The years where it's been close to flawless, 2014, and last year, they found a way to step on their... <laughs> they found a way to blow it all in the NFC Championship game anyways, okay? And Rodgers has been a part of that. He maybe hasn't been the biggest part of it, but he has been a part of that, both years 2014 and 2020 against the Bucs, right? This is not how the NFL works. Rodgers, especially at his age, especially on this team, and especially the division that's winnable the way that it is, is anyone blown away by the Vikings? No, because it's the same story, the same song, different verse. Oh, they have good wide receivers. Oh, they have a good running back. Oh, Kirk Cousins is pretty good. Their defense is plucky. Their offensive line sucks. Oh, okay, well, there's the ingredients there, but Mike Zimmer is going to run the football into the ground like it's 1997. Okay, we know what the Vikings are. The Bears have some good pieces, 
But I don't know that they can fully utilize those pieces with Andy Dalton. That was the story on Sunday. And I'm assuming if Justin Fields isn't playing yet, he's not ready. And if he comes in and makes some splash plays, he'll also probably make some rookie plays as well. Something we talked about yesterday, your median performance by a rookie quarterback, in terms of expected points added per play, is about Mike Glennon. So even if Justin Fields turns out to be great, in the context of this season, I think the best you can hope for when he comes in is, is pretty good and promising. And I'll still take the Packers roster and Aaron Rodgers over that. Detroit isn't any good. Even if they're plucky, they're not any good. This is an uber-winnable division. It's a winnable conference outside of Tampa Bay. And Rodgers has a great roster. He's not throwing this, especially at age 38. And I can't believe that I have to be the one to say this out loud. Rodgers might be petty. I don't think anyone is this petty. Rodgers also isn't stupid. And it would be really stupid for him to completely throw a season in the toilet to spite Brian Gutekunst, who, through his communication errors, sure, has maybe peeved off his quarterback. But building a roster, I don't think he's really done anything that egregious. Would I have liked them to address linebacker, defensive line, or get one extra wide receiver? Sure. But you can wish in one hand and crap in the other. That's not always how life works. You know, see which hand fills up first. Wish in one hand, take a dump in the other, see which one fills up first. My grandpa always said that. I've always been a fan of that expression. Now, the offseason, I think his offseason had a role to play in that dumpy game. He put himself under the microscope this offseason. He put the pressure on himself. And I think he waltzed in and expected this roster to be ready to go. I, I don't know who the vocal leader is in this locker room, but Zedaria Smith hasn't really been around the team. He hasn't practiced a whole lot for preseason. He wasn't even suited up. He wasn't even down on the sideline as we were reported to by Bart Winkler last week because he had some cousin who saw him in the elevator or whatever. I don't know who the leaders are on this team, but I think Aaron Rodgers thought he would stroll in and this team would be locked and loaded and ready to go. And as he said today, and in his post-game interview, that wasn't the case. Now, I think Rodgers has a big part to blame in that, and that's what I want to talk about coming up next. I don't expect it will continue to be the case moving forward. Why don't we get into that conversation, trying to forecast what might happen next Monday and moving forward through the rest of the season? Your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers are not only welcome, but... They're encouraged. Send me a text, 608-796-2558. Send me a tweet, at Wisco Grant. We'll talk more about this coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I hope you've had just a splendid day so far. Brewers are up in less than an hour. Brewers pregame will take over at 5.05. So I will step aside and go home and enjoy my night. Honestly, I can't wait. I only have so many things to say about Sunday's game that I haven't already said. At the beginning of the show, I said Aaron Rodgers playing as poorly as he did is like throwing a handful of cilantro in a really complex, delicious dish. Because if you don't like cilantro, it tastes like soap and it overwhelms everything else, right? So if I give you this amazing dish that I toiled for for hours and then throw a bunch of cilantro on top and you don't like cilantro and I ask you, hey, well, how was the rest? You'd be like, well, I don't know. I can't judge the rest of the dish because the cilantro was everything. That's Aaron Rodgers. I can't judge the defense, can't judge the scheme, can't judge the running game or the wide receivers because Aaron Rodgers was such a turd that it completely overpowered everything else and I don't even know what to make of anything else. So... The Detroit game on Monday night is kind of like week one all over again. And then hopefully if we get an even competent performance from Rodgers, then we can start to think, okay, the O-line is this, the defense is this, maybe Joe Barry isn't a complete and total pumpkin, 
I don't know. Or maybe not. Maybe Rodgers plays great and the rest of the team still sucks. Then we can have that conversation when we get there. But as of right now, I don't know. Yesterday, we focused squarely on Sunday's game. I want to get into big picture stuff. Like what we actually think the outlook of this team is. Has your prediction changed? Do you think they suck now? Do you think this is no big deal? If you have a strong opinion, let me know. Send me a text, 608-796-2558. Twitter, at Wisco Grant. Yesterday, we did the game. Now, I want to do big picture stuff. See, here on the Wisco Sports Show, we take things one game at a time. We go day by day. We never get ahead of ourselves, right? I was listening to Bill Michaels' show yesterday, and he did the classic. Now, the question becomes, can they bounce back? And I'm like, Bill, no, 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 no. If we do that topic on Monday after the game, then what are we going to talk about Tuesday, right? That's, we, we need to keep that topic in our pocket. We can't burn that on Monday. Otherwise, what the heck are we going to talk about today? So yesterday, we had the X's and O's. We can't do big outlook yesterday. That's what we do today. And then tomorrow, we do Brewers. And then Thursday, Friday, we preview Detroit, right? We're on a schedule in football season, Bill. There's a way we go about this. It's a science. So... The Packers lost 38-3 to on Sunday in Jacksonville to the Saints. Bad game for Rodgers. And now that it is Tuesday, September 14th, the question becomes, can they bounce back? See, it's Tuesday. Now is the time. Now is when we do this. The messaging from Rodgers after the game was very crucial to me. I was watching the third and fourth quarter, realizing that Rodgers didn't have it, realizing that he was going to stink the rest of the game, and the Packers were as well. And then I started to think about the postgame, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what this guy's going to say in his postgame presser. Because there is disaster potential there. We've seen pressers where he goes scorched earth in the past, even right after games. And this is important because as the quarterback of a football team, you are a member of the PR department as well. It's your job to go to the podium and make things not a big deal, keep everything hunky-dory and relaxed, and pass along the messaging that the coach would want, the GM would want, the organization would want, right? It's not your job to go up there and be a loose cannon. It's your job to be the mature message boy for the rest of the team. And I thought, man, we've seen Rodgers have some fiery pressers in the past. After that Buffalo game in 2018, they won 22 to nothing. And Rodgers went up there. He's like, that was terrible. Play calling was terrible. Offense was terrible. Just went scorched earth on Mike McCarthy, who was fired a couple of weeks later. The Carolina game last year went scorched earth. The offense shut off in the second half, and he went to the podium. He's like, oh, that sucked. It was so disappointing, right? And I thought, man, if this guy has the nerve to go to the podium after this game and be upset about the play calling and nobody was prepared and and, and deflect, this could be an issue because it's week one, right? But he went to the podium. It's fine. R-E-L-A-X. It's only one game. I played bad. I had a a pick. We, We weren't ready. Blah, 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 right? The company lines, which is what we got, which was good. Thumbs up there. Now, he continued that messaging today on the Pat McAfee show, he described the game as uh, one of those days. Yeah, man, it was one of those days. You know, you play long enough, you're gonna have uh, have one of those. We had one of those last year too. So we've had you know, a couple rough ones in Florida, unfortunately. The Florida is that the only is that the only state, Aaron? Sure, you guys haven't sucked rear end in California too, and in Denver also. Also in Denver, you've been pretty bad. I just one of those days. Really? I can find like two or three of these games every single year. <laughs> one of those days. Yeah, man. It was one of those days. You know, you play long mm-hmm. enough, you're going to have uh, have one of those. We had one of those last year, too. So we've had you know, a couple rough ones in Florida, unfortunately. Yeah. Just a couple rough ones in Florida. Geography geography is very restrictive. Only the bad games have been in Florida. It's not like they've completely been terrible in California and in Denver, too. Not the point. Okay? Rogers downplaying it. It's not a big deal. 
he went as far to say is it was a, a learning experience. You know, it's a good learning lesson for us. You know, we can't we can't play like that. We can't start a game like that. I feel like I said after the game, our energy level was a little bit low. Learning experience. Learning experience. Wait, 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 wait. I want to make sure I get. Hold on. I want to make sure I get this down because I I want to learn with this team. I don't I don't want to miss anything. So let me get a pen here. Um. Okay. Let me get this down. Okay. Don't lose by thirty five as a three-and-a-half-point favorite in week one. I agree. Great learning experience. Glad that lesson. Good. Now we learned that. We move on. What is with this team? I'm not trying to be a hater. I'm not trying to make this game into a bigger deal than it is because I think it is a game you, you can't do anything with. You just burn the tape and you move on. Not every loss is that way. Not every loss is a burn the tape and move along game. Some fans would say that. I will not. Some losses are very indicative of very, very bad things. I don't know what to do with Sunday's game because Rodgers is so bad. It made the rest of the game a complete INC and incomplete in the report card. I can't judge anything because Rodgers was that bad. But the idea that you need to lose a game by 35 points so you can learn not to lose a game by 35 points, that just, why is that a lesson that needs to be learned? And I, I don't mean to, this is such a cliche, so I want to preface this before I say it, that this is stupid 99% of the time this is brought up. But these guys are professional athletes who played football at high school, college, and now in the pros. In middle school football, flag football, when you get cooked by 40, the coach can say, okay, uh, it doesn't feel good to get blown out, does it? Uh, Maybe you guys shouldn't have been pounding juice boxes and Sour Patch Kids at lunch. Maybe you guys would have played better. All right, now we won't do that again, huh? When you play professional football, I just feel like you should know, don't get smoked by 35 as a road favorite. Don't do not do that. That shouldn't be a lesson that needs to be learned, especially when a quarterback has been playing and starting for 14 years and really experienced, and you have veterans like Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and Elton Jenkins, who I know is in his third year but is as polished as they come. Randall Cobb is back. Mercedes Lewis is a veteran. I'm sorry, who, who on this team needed to be educated of that? Was there, was there a group of rookies that were a little hot and cocky, talking loose? As he mentioned after the game, he's like, well, I think we were reading the press clippings. Who's we? Who is we? Who? 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 I don't get it. This is a good learning experience for us. Now we know not to get our ass plowed in by 30 points. All right, good. Glad we learned that lesson, although that won't be the last time that happens this year. Let's talk about that in a few minutes. First, Matt LaFleur from after the game, his message to the team. I just said, we'll find out what we're all about. You know, you, we talk about in the face of adversity, staying together, not flinching. Um, that's exactly what we have to do, and we have to get back to work. This isn't going to magically repair itself. Um, the only way that I believe that you bounce back from any defeat, any setback, whether it's in football or it's in life, is you put in the work. See, I like that takeaway more than Rogers. That was also after the game. I think he was pretty ticked. Like, throw this in your guy's face. Say, hey, you guys just got embarrassed. We got embarrassed by 35. Was that fun? Now I sound like a middle school coach. Was that fun? Did you guys enjoy that, huh? Everyone on the bus ride home. No one says a word. Like, maybe chew your team out like that. He said the Saints had more energy. This might be the most bizarre part of this game. I don't get it. They obviously came out with a lot more intensity than we did. They were the hungrier team, and that's disappointing, especially when you have a team like we feel we have, the leadership. But ultimately, I did a pretty bad job getting these guys ready to play. Let's think about the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks, in this sense, especially during the Atlanta series. This is something that I yelled about a lot on this show because it really frustrated me. When I would go on Twitter 
the Bucks are leading the series 2-1 or 3-1 or whatever it was. And then they'd play Atlanta. And Atlanta would come out looking desperate. They'd look like they had their hair on fire. They look like the hungrier team. And all the Bucks fans, I, I, let, me, let me correct myself. Bucks fans who became Bucks fans during the postseason run, who may not be the most educated of basketball fans, take that however you want to, we're, we're saying things like, how, how, how can the Bucks come out not ready to play? They don't, they don't even look like they want it. What the hell? Well, Atlanta's facing elimination. They're backed into the corner. The Bucks aren't. And I know that you think that every professional athlete should come out and play with their hair on fire every night because they play for my team and that's what I want. That's not human nature. You can't fake desperation. It's not something you can fake. Now, you can play really hard. I think their games where the Bucks came out just fine. But Atlanta was scratching and clawing and playing desperate. And then in one of those games, Giannis got hurt. I think if Giannis doesn't get hurt in that Atlanta game, they come back and win, despite Atlanta coming out and playing really, really hard and desperate. Why? Because they were the desperate team. Who would have thunk it? They were the team facing elimination, not the Bucks. Now, in the case of this Packers-Saints game, I, I, I don't think either team really had reason to be desperate yesterday. It's not like one team is on a two-game losing streak. It's not like one team is clawing for a playoff spot. Both teams are 0-0, zero and zero. and I can't really wrap my mind around why the Saints would be so much more charged up. Maybe their quarterback had more of a motivational factor or their head coach. It's not necessarily a shot at Aaron Rodgers because then in that instance, I would be saying that Jameis Winston is a better leader than Aaron Rodgers, and I'd, I don't all of the time love Aaron Rodgers as a leader, but that's not to say Jameis Winston is Nelson Mandela here. I, I just I can't wrap my mind around why this was so lopsided. It's week one. There aren't really external factors playing into motivation, unless maybe they were playing for New Orleans and the Hurricane, but even that is, I, I, I don't know. 608-796-2558, Mike in Monona, what a timely text, says, why is everyone so angry? Packers will be fine. Bucks lost to the Nets by 50 and still won the championship. They weren't ready to play, and that is fixable. Mike, first of all, thank you for the text. I agree with everything you just said. The Packers will probably be fine. The Bucks did lose to the Nets by 50 and still won the championship. I think all of that is also true to the Packers. But the idea that they weren't ready to play and that is fixable, sure. The idea that that was a variable that needed to be experimented with, right? It's like, imagine you had a gas can in your garage and you're playing with fireworks and you blow up the gas can and you burn down your garage and you survive, everyone survives. And after the fact, you're like, hmm, wow, gas is, uh, gas blows up. Who would have thought? I'm glad, I'm glad we learned that lesson. Now we won't make that mistake again. Everybody knows that gas blows up. Everybody with a brain knows that gas is flammable and that will, you will blow up your garage, right? That's, that's not a variable that we need to experiment with. This is 2020. We're smart. And football players and coaches have never been smarter. The idea that like, oh, I guess we got we to gotta show up and play hard. <laughs> who would have, damn, who would have thought that? Well, son of a gun. Won't make that mistake again. Look what the hell. It's just one of those days. It's a good learning experience. Oh, to not get plowed by 35? Wow. Glad we glad we learned that lesson. It's a good one. That's, that's one you don't learn in school. Losing by 35 as a road favorite is bad. Who would have thought? I'm not that angry, Mike, that the Packers lost. I don't think they're screwed. I'm simply saying hearing this line from Rodgers just makes no sense to me. I, I don't get it. Schmidt on the north side texts in and says, it's 2021, not 2020, Grant. Thank you. You beat Todd and Eau Claire to the punch. I'm sure he'll bring the correcting text next. That's typically his role. A couple of tweets. Uh, Kevin says, a dog gets its energy from its master. 
are you implying that the team gets its energy from Rodgers? If so, I don't disagree. E-Man says, I'm sick of Tofu quarterback already. Hey, donate on Tofu. Just because he's got a man bun doesn't mean Tofu sucks. Tofu, Tofu's a blank slate, man. You, If you cook up Tofu with the right seasonings and flavors, it can be delicious. Now, if you don't do anything with it, it's it's rubber. Like, it might as well be a flavorless hot dog. Don't bring Tofu into this. There are some wonderful alternatives for cooking well-flavored Tofu. Not with cilantro, though. We already talked about that. That could taste like soap. We've come full circle. Todd and Eau Claire says, I'm listening and I totally missed it. Yes, we snuck a mistake by Todd and Eau Claire. Schmidt, you should be proud of yourself. You caught a mistake that Todd didn't even catch. And Todd, I'm not meaning to drag on you. It's just the, the funny role that you've played. It's been a fun part of the show. If I make a mistake, Todd's going to let me hear about it. And if Todd doesn't, I guess Schmidt on the north side will take it from there. Yes, it's 2021. And in fact, it's almost 2022. You're exactly right, Schmidt. Thank you for reaching out from the north side. Let's take a break. Talk about the Brewers to wrap up the show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I was also upset. I wanted Corbin Burns to come back out and try to get a no-hitter. I know that sounds insane because I want my team to win a World Series and I'm concerned about the health of my starting pitchers, but I have a heart and soul too as a sports fan. I wanted Corbin Burns to come back out. Three hitters. But, but, that's obviously not what happened. And I could sit here and yell, and I could do what Ebo does and make analogies that don't really make sense, but they sound kind of clever. Like, oh, I suppose, Grant, you would have wanted uh, Michelangelo to be pulled off the Sistine Chapel before he finished it. Well, that's not even close to the same thing. Not even close. In fact, I've been trying to come up with another analogy to fit this, and I just haven't because I'm not sure there is one. Right? I'm not sure there is one for this. This is a very specific situation where Craig Council is making sure his starting pitchers are available for the postseason because this Brewer team is really good. You talk about making history, a no-hitter would be history. You know what else is history? This team making the World Series, which they haven't done since 1982. In fact, do I need to remind you, most of which you are older than me, so you know better than me, this team went from 1982 to 2008 without making the playoffs. You want to talk about making history? How about another crack at the playoffs? Because if you talk about the percentage of seasons the Brewers have actually made the postseason, it's like negligible. It's a fraction. Oh, yes. A no-hitter would be great. And I think if Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, and maybe just Hauser or one of these other guys, if this is their staff for the next couple of years, I think they'll have other cracks at winning or making or doing a no-hitter, excuse me. Winning a World Series, you kind of need the stars to align. And the stars are kind of aligning for the Brewers this year. It doesn't mean they'll win the World Series. It doesn't even mean they'll make it. But this is their best shot. This is their best team that they've had in my lifetime. And if you were around in the early 80s, maybe you can compare and you can attest to that. I can't. I'm not going to. But you talk about making history. Making history would be doing something the Brewers never do. And that's make the postseason, contend, and make their first World Series in 40, 40 years? A little bit less than 40 years? Making history for the Brewers would be making the World Series. It would also be throwing a no-hitter, but I... I would rather make the World Series. Loser franchises hang banners for things that don't matter. Like, God, this is mean. I don't even want to go here. Vikings fans yelled endlessly last year, Justin Jefferson, Rookie of the Year. That doesn't matter. That is a banner that means nothing. A no-hitter, as awesome as it would be, pales in comparison to making a World Series. So I understand where Craig Council is coming from. That being said, I was super bummed when he got pulled out because I'm human. I'm a sports fan, too. I, my blood bleeds red just like yours. I just happen to admit 
that I understand where Craig Council is coming from, where I think some of you might be in denial about it. 115 pitches is a lot. Corbin Burns is going to be a huge part of this team trying to make a World Series. I want to preserve it, even if it means giving up a shot at a no-hitter. 